And as a reminder, I want you to, to know that Christ Jesus is absolutely, positively the central theme of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. You say, well, you say that every service. Well, I want to make sure we understand that completely. Luke 24, verse 44. Luke 24, verse 34. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spoke unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were spoken by Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, that in the scriptures Christ Jesus is the central theme. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spoke unto you while I was with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Christ Jesus is the central theme. We have the written word here. This written word is what reveals the God of the Bible to us. Without the written word, we would not know who he is. We would not know his characteristics, his attributes. Uh, I think the spirit that we have would pretty much dictate that there is a supreme being, that there is someone out there, that there is a higher power. But he loves us so much that he describes himself. He tells us exactly who he is in the written word, but even more so in the living word, the Lord Jesus Christ. John 1.18 tells us that, it, that he has revealed the Father to us. He has declared him. He has revealed him to us. So you, you want to know the God of the Bible, you absolutely have to know the Lord Jesus Christ because he is God incarnate. So as we go through Christ of the book, as we go through listing all the different uh, avenues where Christ Jesus is, is in the Scripture. In Genesis, He's Creator. In Exodus, He's Deliverer. Leviticus, He's Lawgiver. All the way through. Well, this morning, I want us to continue with Zechariah. Look at Zechariah chapter 14. Zechariah chapter 14, because that tells us who Christ is in the book of Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 14, verse 9, tells us that he is king over all. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth in that day, shall there be one Lord and his name one. So in the book of Zechariah, he is the king over all. Understand the timing of all of this now. The Jews are back in Judah. The 70 years captivity is over. The Jews are back into the promised land. About 43,000 of them returned when Cyrus gave them permission to go back and rebuild the temple. About 43,000 of them returned to the promised land returned to Jerusalem. Some had already returned to build the walls and to rebuild the city, but then a great number returns in order to rebuild uh, the temple. As a matter of fact, we need to understand that the ones... Remember when the Lord Jesus, uh, in Matthew, when it talks about the, the wise men, the magi that come to visit uh, him and pay tribute to 
We've seen his star, and we've come to honor the king. They go to Jerusalem because that's where you would expect the king to have been born. Uh, well, they come, and they are the magi. They were not Gentiles. They were part of those who had been taken into the captivity. That's how they understood to watch for his star. Those were Jews who were part of uh, living in, in the, the Orient during, during that time. But only about 43,000 returned. Three men during that return have a dramatic role in prophesying to the nation of Israel after the 70 years, three different men. You have Haggai, and remember last week we talked about Haggai, and God's word's clear from, from Haggai that this Messiah, he is, the, he is the desire of all nations. He is the desire of all nations. Maybe not all nations know that at this point, but he is the desire of all nations. He is absolutely the one that all nations need. So in in Haggai, he's the desire of all nations. In Zechariah, he is the king over all the earth. In Malachi, he is the messenger of the covenant. So we have Haggai, Zechariah preaching during their, they've come back. The temple is in the process of being rebuilt. It's Haggai and Zechariah's ministry build this temple, build this temple, build this temple, the Messiah is coming, the Messiah is coming. They build the temple, and they have all of the, 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 the sacrifices have been reinstated, the, all the things that go on in the temple are being done. Uh, Malachi, about 27 years later, he comes on the scene, and his message to them is, quit sinning. Quit doing exactly what you were doing prior to being taken into captivity. The priests are already corrupt, as we we're going to see. But here he shows up about 27 uh, years after Haggai and Zechariah start preaching. But they are already slipping back into their old way. And basically, when we get to Malachi, we're going to see that the Lord tells them. You know what the Lord says to his chosen people? He says, what he tells them, because of, they just keep flip-flopping, flip-flopping, and they just, they, they start asking themselves questions like, why do we really need to worship him? Why, do, why are we really counting on him to bless us? Why are we really observing the law? Why are we really doing all of these sacrifices? And the Lord tells uh, tells Malachi, you tell my people, they weary me. Can you imagine knowing that your behavior wearies God? Well, he's going to be very direct with them. You weary me. All the blessings, all the promises that I've made to you. And Zechariah, boy, we're going to see there's just promise after promise, and it's exciting what Zechariah tells them is going to happen. And so about 27 years later, they're already going, where are all these promises? What? This is not what we signed up for. Not exactly what they say, but that's basically what their, their behavior is. So in Zechariah, the first eight chapters deal with rebuild the temple. The last six chapters of Zechariah deal with anticipating the coming Messiah. 
the chosen one of God, the anointed of God. He's coming, and Zechariah builds this picture. But he also says he's coming, but not without difficulty. And when you read this, you study this, you understand that this is part of the great tribulation, the great and terrible day of the Lord, that there's going to be a refiner's fire. There's going to be persecution. There's going to be things that happen during this time. And we read all about that in the book of Zechariah. As a matter of fact, when you study the Old Testament, something we need to remember is that in the Old Testament, it never distinguished, never distinguishes between the first coming and the second coming of Christ. So as far as these Old Testament prophets, they didn't understand that that was an aspect of the Lord's return, that there was going to be His first coming, God in the flesh, the, the, the virgin birth, and all that that was going to entail, including His, his crucifixion, that was his first coming. They didn't realize what was going to happen, that he was going to be uh, uh, resurrected and then there was going to be a second coming. They, in their mind, the, the Messiah was going to be born. He was going to go through his life. They, there was not that distinction. It's not until the Lord Jesus Christ himself comes, and in Matthew 13, uh, Luke 8, I think, uh, uh, Mark 4, he talks about the mysteries of the kingdom. And then he outlines all of these things, how that there was a prince that comes and, and he's called back to his, his kingdom. And, and he goes into detail of the mysteries of the kingdom. They didn't know all of that until the Lord Jesus himself on earth uh, declares those truths. These prophets are just saying, it's going to be a blessing. Have faith. Trust God. Don't look at your circumstances. Don't look at all the surroundings. You trust God. Have faith in God. Yes, He's coming. There's going to be difficulty. Well, last week we didn't talk about the the anticipation part, uh, but it's so important, so important that they are to build the temple. Once they they build the temple, watch for the Messiah. Messiah that the blessings that are to come upon Israel are certain they are going to come. And it's Zechariah that paints such a vivid picture of those truths. As a matter of fact, it's in Zechariah that we understand now, but they'd already gone through the captivity. They never talked about, they never knew that that the Messiah was going to come lowly, riding on a donkey, the foal of a donkey, They had no idea about the triumphal entry into Jerusalem until Zechariah says, this is what you watch for. As a matter of fact, all all of the prophecies concerning Christ Jesus, his first coming, and even, well, in his second coming, just as real, just as truthful, just as certain as all the promises relating to his first coming and his activity on earth happened, 100% accurate, we can be sure that the same thing is going to be true about his second coming. And as we see all those line up, we know that his second coming is close. And if his second coming is close, how much closer is the rapture of the church, which takes place seven years before that second coming? But here we have that anticipation. We have Zechariah talking about how you're going to recognize him because he's going to be lowly. He's going to be coming, riding in. And 
and the people are going to be rejoicing over that. It's Zechariah that tells us that he's going to be sold for 30 pieces of silver. They didn't know that. Well, when that took place, some of them should have said, wait, what happened? You told me, he got so, he, what, 30 pieces? And what did they do with that 30 pieces? You, you're kidding me. See, all, everything lined up exactly the way the prophet said it was going to happen. It happened. See, God didn't leave them there to question. There were absolutely positive things taking place. I mean, if you say this is going to happen, and it happens 100% accurate, 100% of the time, what's that a good indication of? That it's true. That it's true. That God's Word is true, and that's exactly what was going, going on. Look at Zechariah chapter 8. That's where I want to start this morning. Zechariah chapter 8. I want us to look at some of those pro- promises, what Israel was to expect, to look forward to. Zechariah chapter 8, starting with verse 1. And again, the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I was zealous for Zion with great jealousy, and I was zealous for her with great fury. Chapter, verse 3. Takes us, God takes Zechariah to prophesy concerning future events. Thus saith the Lord, I am returned unto Zion, I will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and Jerusalem shall be called a city of truth and the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. Zechariah is told by God, here's going to be the conditions in Jerusalem. And I got news for you. To date, that's not been fulfilled. But it's going to be fulfilled. Absolutely, positively. So this was the promise of God to the peop- His chosen people that I'm going to be the, the Lord Himself, this Messiah that you're looking for, He is going to establish His kingdom on earth in the midst of Jerusalem. Uh, uh, Zephaniah 3.15, the prophet Zephaniah tells the same people the exact same thing, that He is going to be in the midst of them. Isaiah 12.6 tells the same thing. Sorry, Tim, those are two scriptures I forgot to give you. But they, they talk about the fact that that the Messiah, the Lord, is going to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. That's part of the gospel of the kingdom. That's the good news of the kingdom, that the Messiah is coming, that the Messiah is going to establish His kingdom on earth. He's going to rule and reign in perfect justice, just as the Word of God said it was going to happen. So if God's Word says something, can you be certain it's going to come to pass? Absolutely. Absolutely. So here in Zechariah, this promise that the Messiah, he's going to come. He's going to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Hey, and if God himself is in the midst of Jerusalem, can you, you feel safe? You betcha. You can feel safe. Are you, are you going to need to fear all of the persecution? Are you going to need to fear all the difficulty that they faced up to this? They just... They haven't been back from captivity that long. And here this Zechariah, he keeps telling us about all these promises. Here's Haggai, he, he, was, he was talking to us about the desire of all nations. Zechariah is going into a, a little more detail here. 
Look at verse 7 of chapter 8. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will save my people from the east country and from the west country, and I will bring them, and they shall dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God in truth and in righteousness. Boy, the people could get excited about that. That's, that's a promise from God. That's Zechariah who's speaking on behalf of God to these people. Look at verse 13. And it shall come to pass that as you were a curse among the Gentiles, O house of Judah and house of Israel, so will I save you and you shall be a blessing. Fear not, but let your hands be strong. I got news for you. That is a future promise and blessing also because that's never been the condition of Israel or Judah to date. But the promise is, Israel, you're going to be a blessing. Look up at verse 20, chapter 8. I know we're skipping a lot, and I encourage you to go through Haggai and Zechariah and, and do your own study. Verse 20, thus saith the Lord of hosts, it shall yet come to pass that there shall come people and the inhabitants of many cities and the inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, Let us go speedily to pray before the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. I will go also. Yea, many people and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to pray before the Lord. How can they pray before the Lord? Because he's in the midst of them, just as Isaiah, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Zephaniah had promised that his kingdom was going to be established in Jerusalem. Verse 23, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, In those days it shall come to pass that ten men shall take hold out of all languages of the nations and shall take hold of the skirt of him that is a Jew, saying, We will go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Folks, that verse has never found its fulfillment. Those conditions have never existed. But they're going to. It's the promise of God. It's, the, it's, de, it's describing the millennial kingdom when Christ is ruling and reigning. It's describing those blessings that are to come upon the nation of Israel. And by the way, we are not spiritual Israel. We are not Israel. God is dealt with Israel. They were his peculiar people, his nation of priests. God has worked through Israel. He will continue to work through Israel when the time comes. But right now, the, this nation that's getting all these promises, they've been temporarily blinded until the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled. God has set them aside while he works through the church, the body of Christ. Us. God is not working through nations right now. He's working through a body. You're that body. Every believer, every redeemed individual, Jew or Gentile, has been made part of the body of Christ. These promises are written to the nation of Israel and what they can look forward to. Israel is going to inherit an earthly kingdom. Our, our hope, our calling is on high in the heavenlies. Two different callings. And one of these days, we're going to be called on high. And then all of these promises are going to start taking place again. Chapter 9 talks about the judgment of nations. Uh, chapter 9, all, it, it distinguishes here the, the first coming 
uh, what we were talking about a while ago, chapter 9, rejoice, I mean, verse 9 uh, of chapter 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king comes unto thee. He is just and having salvation. Your king comes, he has salvation. Lowly and riding upon a donkey and upon a colt, the foal of a donkey. That, that was there. Your king is coming. He's lowly. That's what they should have expected. Verse 16. And the Lord their God shall save them in that day as the flock of his people. For they shall be as the stones of a crown, lifted up as an ensign upon his land. For how great is his goodness and how great is his beauty. Corn shall be the young shall make the young men cheerful and new wine the maids. It's going to be a joyous time. It's going to be a time of celebration. It's going to be a glorious time when these prophecies find their fulfillment during the millennial kingdom. Chapter 11 talks about the rejection of the Messiah. Look at chapter 12. Look at chapter 12. Zechariah is telling these Jews, these who have returned to the land, exactly what God's plan is for Israel in the future. And I think this, these few verses are really interesting when it comes to the future of Israel. And perhaps one of the reasons why you turn the news on at some point during the day, usually several times during the day, there's going to be a story of something coming out of Israel and all the hostility, all the issues, all the problems that's going on with Israel. But Zechariah chapter 12, verse 1. The burden of the word of the Lord for Israel, saith the Lord, which stretched forth, and by the way, look what it says God does, which stretch, stretches forth the heavens, he lays the foundation of the earth and forms the great spirit of man within him. God is your creator. He is the one who provides you life, all men life. He is the most righteous. He is the righteous one. He is the creator. He is the redeemer. Zechariah is wanting to make sure that these Jews understand just who the God is that they serve. Verse 2, though, here we go. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling, Unto all the people round about, when they shall be in the siege, both against Judah and against Jerusalem. In other words, God is, is telling His people that Jerusalem is going to be a point of contention. Jerusalem is going to cause the world difficulty. Jerusalem is going to be the place where the Messiah is going to rule and reign, and perfect justice is going to come from Him from that location. And the Lord says that Jerusalem is going to cause the word the world to tremble. And when he talks about a, a, a cup of trembling, look at verse 3. And in that day will I make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people. A burdensome stone. The, the, the translation of that is a stone that, that can't be moved. A stone that, you know, you can pick up a rock and you can throw it at somebody or there's stones you can use for grinding. This is going to be some, a stone that they can't, utilize they can't they can't do anything with because God has a plan and purpose for this it's going to be a burdensome stone it's going to be a stone that they can't budge they can't move they can't 
change. That that's what Jerusalem is going to be. Verse 4, In that day saith the Lord, I will smite every horse with astonishment and his rider with madness, and I will open my eyes upon the house of Judah, and I will smite every horse of the people with blindness. Look at verse 8. In that day shall the Lord defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and he that is feeble among them at the day shall be as David, and the house of David shall be as God. I mean, powerful, mighty, not make any mistakes, trustworthy. And the house of David shall be as God and the angel of the Lord before them. And and it shall come to pass in that day that I will destroy all, seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. We're going to drop down to chapter 14 pretty quick. And it's describing all of those, all nations that are going to come against Jerusalem in the last day. That's the picture that, that, that Zechariah is painting. He's talking about here, this is what's going to happen. So basically, when these things don't start happening, the priests are wondering, why are we making these sacrifices? Why are we going through this temple worship? Why are we, why are we going through all of this? Because it's future, and God wants them to be faithful and trust by faith. That with God, time really is not important. What's important to God is that by faith, His people trust that all of these are going to take place. Look at verse 10 of chapter 12. Here, here's what God is, is he's, he's talking about uh, what He's going to defend. He is going to fight against all these nations that come against Israel. In verse 10, And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. Well, you go to Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, it tells you when that's going to be, when Christ returns at His revealing. When Christ comes, Israel is going to look upon Him whom they pierced. They're going to believe. A nation's going to be born in a day. God is going to be honored. In, in Romans chapter 11, verse 26, it talks about the fact that all Israel shall be saved. And people get so confused over that verse. It's not saying that every Jew is going to be saved. It's talking about the fact that when this occurs, when they look upon him who they've pierced, Ezekiel says they're going to look upon him who they pierced, and they're going to loathe themselves. They're going to hate themselves for their stupidity and for their rejection and for their behavior toward the Messiah all of these years. He's going to pour out upon them the spirit of grace and supplications. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourns for his only son. And he shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. In that day shall be a great morning in Jerusalem and in the morning, in the morning of Hadadaram, and in the valley of Megiddon, and the land shall mourn every family apart, and the family of the house of David apart, and their wives apart, and the family of the house of Nathan apart, and their wives apart, the valley of the house of Levi apart, and their wives apart, the valley of Shemai apart from their wives, and the families that remain every family apart, and their wives apart. In other words, every aspect 
of the nation of Israel are going to be taking this revival, this what's going on, as serious. It's going to be personal, and they're going to gather their families together. 13 verse 1. And in that day there shall be a fountain open to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. What's so interesting about that is in Jeremiah 31. Turn, turn with me to Jeremiah 31. See, Jeremiah had already told him, here's what's going to happen. Look at Jeremiah 31 concerning that very, that very verse. Now, Jeremiah had been prophesying 100 plus years prior. Prior to this, look at Jeremiah 31, verse 30, 31. Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in that day, that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they broke, although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Zechariah is detailing that time even more. And they shall teach no man, every man his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. That's a promise of God that Jeremiah was, was making to them. Look at Jeremiah 33, verse 6. Well, uh, 32, uh, verse 36. Look at Jeremiah 32, verse 36. And now therefore saith the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning this city, whereof you say it shall be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon by the sword and by the famine and by the pestilence, Behold, I will gather them out of all countries where I have driven them in mine anger and in my fury and in great wrath, and I will bring them again into this place, and I will cause them to dwell safely. They shall be my people, and I will be their God, and I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for the good of them and of their children after them, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Look at Ezekiel. Chapter 36, Ezekiel 36. Start with verse 24. For I will gather you from among the Gentiles, from the heathen, and gather you out of all countries, and will bring you into your own land. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean. By the way, that was the baptism that John the Baptist was doing, preparing them to be that nation of priests. That was the ceremonial cleansing. That's why John the Baptist came from your filthiness and from all your idols, and I will cleanse you. A new heart will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh, a soft heart, not that hard heart they've had, 
And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you shall keep my judgments and do them and you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. Zechariah here in chapter 13 is confirming that very promise and it's that promise that these people are going, where is that? How come that hasn't happened? Why aren't these promises coming about? But there's going to be a great revival in the nation of Israel. And by the way, it's going to be the, the two witnesses to begin with and during the tribulation, and then the 144,000 that are going to be believing the gospel of the kingdom. They're going to bring about that tremendous, tremendous revival. But one of the things that Zechariah tells them in uh, chapter 13, verse 9, well, start verse 8. And it shall come to pass that in all the land, saith the Lord, that two parts therein shall be cut off and die, but the third part shall be left therein. And I will bring the third part through the fire. I will refine them as silver is refined, and I will try them as gold is tried. And they shall call on my name, and I will hear them. And I will say, it is my people, and they shall say, the Lord is my God. That's the tribulation period. He's describing the persecution that's going to take place during that time. Then chapter 14 of Zechariah, he moves into more description of that battle of Armageddon when all the nations come against Jerusalem. Not most of the nations, not some of the nations, but all the nations come against the nation of Israel. So if you're ever wondering what's going to happen with the United States in future, we'll know that all nations are going to come against Israel, including this one. And part of that is going to take place because the rapture of the church is going to occur and the influence that you have is going to be out. It's going to be gone. It's going to be gone. So it's just going to be the, the lost that are looking and blame Israel for everything anyway. It's the Christian segment. It's the body of Christ that supports Israel. But here's what's going to happen. Israel is going to be that, that stone, that, that burdensome stone. God, I'm going to make you a trembling. Well, that tr the result of that is all nations are going to come against Jerusalem. Behold, the day of the Lord, that's the tribulation period, Behold, the day of the Lord comes, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee, and I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished. That's what verse 9 was talking about, that persecution, that only a third of those are going to be left during that time. Then shall go forth... Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives. Remember when the angel told the twelve apostles, well, at that time there was only 11, 11 apostles had gathered. And, they, and the angel said, why do you men stand gazing up? This same Jesus that's taken up from you on the Mount of Olives He's going to so come in like manner. Well, that's what this is describing, that coming of the Lord Jesus. 
And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a great valley. And half the mountain shall be removed toward the north and half of the, toward the south. Look at verse 9. What's going to be taking place after that? What's going to be the result of that? This is Zechariah's message to these people the nation of Israel here. And the Lord shall be the king over the earth. And in that day there shall be one Lord and his name one. And men shall dwell in it and there shall be no more utter destruction, but Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited. And they all applauded and they were excited and they said, let's get the sacrifices going. And the temple had been built and 27 years later, turn to Malachi. Turn to Malachi. We don't have time this morning to go through all of Malachi, but there's some points you need to understand. And just to make sure you understand, look at Malachi 2, verse 17. You have wearied me, the Lord, with your words. And you read the first part of it, and they were asking all sorts of questions about why, why do we need to serve the Lord? When we have wearied, you, you ask, well, when have we wearied him? When you say, everyone that does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he that lights in them, and where is the God of judgment? See, that, that's the question they were saying. Well, where is the God of judgment? You, he said all this was going to happen in Zechariah. Well, where is he? If he's really out there, if he's really going to come, let him come. I mean, you even have idiots today in, in universities that will stand on a chair and say, I'm going to prove to you there's not a God. If there's a God in heaven, you strike me down right now. I'm waiting. And it doesn't happen. And the guy says, see there, there's not a God. That didn't prove there's not a God. What it proves is that he is remarkably gracious. He is remarkably loving and long-suffering and patient. That's what it proves. It doesn't prove there's not a God. It proves that he is a wonderful God, love that's not willing that any should perish. It's a good thing I'm not God. Because I'd have jerked the chair out from under him. But that's basically what the people were doing here. Well, where is he? If there's a God, we're... And they got tired of the ceremonies. They, the, police, the priests were corrupt. The sacrifices had been reinstated. But the people were lethargic. They were lazy. The temple observance was going on. But it wasn't with the heart. It was just through their motions. And so enter Malachi. Chapter 3, verse 1. Malachi tells them, from the Lord, behold, I will send my messenger. And as Howard mentioned, that messenger is John the Baptist. Isaiah had prophesied that there was going to come a forerunner of Christ. There was going to be a messenger. There was going to be someone that was going to come and prepare the way for the Messiah. So when John the Baptist came on the scene with the baptism of repentance, with telling them to repent and be baptized for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
All of these truths concern that kingdom, and they're looking forward to that kingdom. John the Baptist came proclaiming, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He was preparing them to be that nation of priests. That's what the ceremonial baptism that was all about, that washing, that cleansing. Repent and be baptized for the remission of your sin to the nation of Israel. It was required. John the Baptist was that messenger, but there is another messenger at the same time. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me, whom the Lord whom you seek, whom you seek, shall suddenly come in his temple. That's why it was so important that it get built. Even the messenger of the covenant, whom you delight in, Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. Malachi is enforcing. Malachi is supporting all that Haggai, Zechariah, and all the other prophets had said in the Old Testament. Now, it's interesting that when Malachi closes, when Malachi is done, 400 years of divine silence. 400 years that God does not speak through his prophets. As a matter of fact, <laughs> that number 400 is significant in two ways. Number one, it, it does fulfill Daniel chapter 9 in that uh, where he says, he gives that, that figure from the time of the going forth to rebuild the walls to Christ dying, it, th that 183 years, it fulfills that exactly, that the Messiah is going to be coming. That 400 years, but 400, if I were to say 40, what does that figure register in your mind? What, the number 40 in Scripture, what, what is it usually an indication of? Judgment, judgment. And if I tell you, go ten times that, that's exactly what you have with 400. It's ten times the judgment time. 400 years where God is fulfilling, is going to fulfill His promise. Be faithful. Be faithful. And 400 years of silence. When Malachi closes up, behold, I will send my messenger. So trust in the Lord. Trust in Him. Verse 3, And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and shall purify the sons of Levi, and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. By the way, it was, it was the priest that was causing all the trouble. It was the priest who were neglecting being the shepherd that they should have been. It was, it was the priest that were defiling the temple and not doing the things that they should, should have been doing. They refuse to keep the law. Look at verse 6. For I am the Lord, I change not, therefore you sons of Jacob are not consumed. Talk about mercy. The Lord was saying, it's, it's a good thing that I am who I am, or I would have brought judgment down upon you a long time ago, you sons of Jacob. Even from the days of your fathers, you have not you are gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return unto me, and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. 
But you said, where and shall we return? Why should we return? And God says, will a man rob God? And you say, well, where have we robbed you? And that's when he talks about tithes and offerings. You, you're, you're, you're robbing me. You're not doing what I said you're supposed to do in order to keep the temple up, to keep it operating, to do the things that it needs to be done. Verse 11, he says, I, I, I want to bless you. Look at verse 10. Bring you all the tithes into the storehouse. And by the way, tithing was under the law. We're no longer under the law, but that's a whole other sermon. Bring you all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in my house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open, if I will not open you the windows of heaven. Remember, that's what they were complaining about. Where are these blessings? Where are all these promises? And God, through Malachi, before he shuts the door for 400 years, is he saying, you trust me, you obey me, and see if I won't open the windows and pour out you a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. That's what he's saying here. And I will rebuke, I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. I'm going to make sure that what you plant grows, what you work on is going to be successful. God is saying, I will be your God. I will bless you through all of this. And all nations, all nations shall call you blessed. Turn your television on this evening and watch for some news report that all nations are calling Israel blessed. It won't happen. It's not going to happen yet. But one day, it is going to happen. You, look at verse 14. You have said that it's vain to serve God. And what profit is that we have kept His ordinance? See, that's what caused God to go weary. Now, real quick, God's words closed. People say, well, the Old Testament's over with. Let's go over to Matthew and Mark, Luke and John, and there's the New Testament wrong. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are just a continuation of Malachi, 400 years, and it picks right back up with the promises made for the Messiah to come, coming. That's a continuation of these prophecies. It's a fulfillment of these prophecies. There's, there's been no change. It's not all of a sudden the Messiah is here, so the church age starts. No, what was going on was exactly what had been prophesied concerning the nation of Israel. From Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and even early Acts, it's a continuation of this prophetic program to Israel. The change does not come until God raises up this chief of sinners and he gives him a special revelation concerning what he's doing, not through Israel, but through a body, a joint body made up of Jew and Gentile, and what he's going to do to to offer salvation to all men, not based on his covenant relationship with Israel. The reason he's being so patient and kind and gracious to Israel is because of his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Moses. But when you look at all of this, it kind of gives you new insight when he says, when John 1, 11 talks about Christ coming to his own and his own received him not, Wow, and you just go, what were these people thinking? It was there. 
He was there. All of these prophecies being fulfilled. But the change is not until the Apostle Paul comes on the scene. And he says, lo, I turn to the Gentiles. And one of the things that ticked Israel off, the Jews off, they caused him to be in prison. And it says that they listened to Paul as he went through his, his spill, his sermon, until he got to the point where he says, the Lord says, lo, I send you to the Gentiles. What does God's word said happen after that? Man, they, they started throwing dust and they grabbed stones and they were about to attack him. That was a no-no. Why, was, why did that aggravate them? Why didn't they just say, well, whatever. Paul, okay. Just do it in love, Paul. That's all that matters. Uh, because it's not what mattered. See, God's, God's word's clear. John chapter 4, verse 22 Christ tells the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well, that salvation was of the Jews. That's big, folks. That for the Gentiles to come to... And the Gentiles were always to be saved. The Gentiles were always offered to be offered salvation and a way to connect to God. But it was always prophesied it was to be through Israel. Salvation is of the Jews. That's why Christ came and he said, I've come only. What does the word only mean? Well, you know. I come only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. What does it mean when Christ sent out the disciples and he sent them out and said, go only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel? Does he not care for the Gentiles? God loves everybody. But according to his prophetic program, salvation was of the Jews. And I don't know about you, but I am glad this morning that there was a mystery. There was something hidden in God that when Israel rejected the Messiah and they said, we will not have this man to reign over us. That was one of the parables that Christ shared with them concerning the mysteries of kingdom. We shall not have this man to reign over us. Prophetically, the next item on the, uh, the agenda, according to the prophets, was the tribulation. All of those things we just read about. All of those things that were occurring. As a matter of fact, Peter told, Peter told them in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost when they said, these guys are drunk. He says, they're not drunk. This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. You read Joel chapter 2, Joel chapter 3. It's all about the tribulation. What Peter describes there in Acts 2 is the tribulation. It was time for the tribulation to start. See, the Messiah, according to Isaiah, Jeremiah, according to the prophets, the chosen Messiah... The one that was going to save Israel, not just deliver Israel. See, they were looking for a Messiah to come on a white horse with a shiny sword and come down and deliver them from bondage, humanly speaking. But that's not the bondage they needed to be delivered from. It's not the bondage that man needed to be delivered from. It was the bondage of sin. And before he could become that conquering 
deliverer on that white horse, which he's going to be, by the way. See, that, that's still going to occur. He had to be the lamb slaughtered. And the prophets talked about that, but they completely missed that part. So Christ came. He died. He ascended. We're resurrected. He ascended. Bodily resurrected. He ascended. And you know what the first question was the apostles said? They asked him, will you now restore the kingdom to Israel? That was the hot topic for them. All these other things had happened. The Messiah was there. It was all of these events that were taking place. Hey, will you now restore the kingdom of heaven? He just says, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons. You just be faithful. You just do what I've told you to do. And he opens up their understanding so they understand all Scripture. And the kingdom is offered to Israel. Acts chapter 3. Repent in order that the times of refreshing can come from the presence of the Lord. In the midst of them. All of that fits. But they reject it. And here's the good news of the grace of God. Israel rejected, but instead of the tribulation started, instead of all of those prophetic promises taking place, God in His mercy and His grace, not willing that any should perish, offers salvation to fallen man, Jew and Gentile, based on the finished work of Christ on Calvary's cross by grace. Not because He had an agreement with Israel, but because He loves you by grace by His mercy He saves. That's why we've gathered here to worship Him, to be a blessing to Him. Because that grace is so wonderful. That grace is so marvelous. This program that we are living in now makes those who by faith trust Christ heirs of God. Joint heirs with Christ. That's the gift of eternal life that he offers. What an amazing God we serve. And if you don't know him this morning, let me encourage you by faith to trust Christ as your Savior. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how clear, how precise, how wonderful it is. Father, help us to be the students you would have us to be. Help us to be that Berean that searches the scriptures to see if these things be so. Father, help us to study to show ourselves approved unto you. Workmen that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. May we understand fully what that means. Now, Father, we come before you loving you, thanking you for eternal life. Father, I pray if there's anyone here this morning that does not know you, that this will be the moment in the quietness of this moment, the Holy Spirit will just speak to their heart regardless of what they've done, regardless of how they've lived their lives. That your mercy, your grace, your love extends to them. That it's not about what they do, but what you have done on their behalf as you hung on Calvary's cross. And Father, your invitation is to believe that Christ died for our sins, was buried and rose again, 
And Father, you do that work in our lives to make us that new creation. Father, we thank you for that salvation. And may we never fail to mention it as we proclaim the good news of the gospel, the grace of God. Father, we pray all these things in that name that's above all other names. In the name of the one that every knee is going to bow to and every tongue is going to confess to. Now, Father, as I close out this prayer, I pray for Faye's mom. Father, not sure what all is going on with her, but you do. And she belongs to you. And she has been ready to stand in your presence for so many years now. So, Father, we commit her to your care and just pray your will be done. We thank you for her, but at 102, she is so ready to be home. Father, we rejoice with her regardless of what your will is. And we pray these things in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.